Hey there, I'm Alice and this is the One in Five podcast. This acknowledges the fact that one in five of the UK population have a disability. This goes alongside the fact that each year, tens of thousands of disabled students across the UK apply and attend university. With that being said, this podcast mini-series will provide you, the listener, with university support by disabled students for disabled students. Here's a teaser for what's coming up in this episode. Boy, do I have some words to say. I used to be really ashamed about the way my brain worked. You can't argue with feelings. kind of wish I'd known that going in. It was only until university when I got my diagnosis that I was then, I then felt comfortable enough to identify as having those disabilities. Don't be scared to just ask those questions. Your disabilities are intrinsically a part of who you are. You feel how you feel. I am so pleased to be saying this because this has been a long time in the planning and that is welcome to the One in Five podcast. My name is John Cheek. I'm here from Uni Taste Days and I'm a very small part of this podcast because this podcast is all about our students, our student voices. This is a university support podcast by disabled students for disabled students. During this mini-series, we follow the lived experiences of our students. That's Alice, Kyle, Dominique, Matthew and Jessica as we explore many of the key topics around accessing university. In this episode today, we're going to be exploring identity and we have absolutely fantastic voices to allow us to do that. And that's Alice, Dominique and also Matthew. But during the episode, we're also going to be hearing from Kyle and Jessica. So with that in mind, you've tuned in to hear from our students, not from me. So let's find out a little bit more about them. And Alice, I'm going to come to you. Do you mind just telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, definitely. So hi, everyone. I'm Alice. I am. I'm a recent graduate from Canterbury Christchurch University. I studied sociology. And yeah, I have a physical condition, which means that I constantly move and it never stops called dystonia. So anyone's got dystonia, shout out to you. Um, so basically, I constantly move and no, it never stops. So that's fun. <laughs> and Matthew, can I come to you? Just tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, of course. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Matthew. I'm in my third and final year at university where I'm studying filmmaking uh, at Leeds Beckett. It's a bit of a niche degree, but I enjoy it. I have dyslexia. So if anyone else has dyslexia, I can talk about my experiences and hopefully be helpful with helping you through the university process. And last but certainly not least, uh, Dominique. Hiya, my name is Dominique and I, like Alice, am also a graduate. I graduated in July 2023. And I was studying at the University of Kent and I studied English and American literature and French. And uh, I have generalised anxiety disorder and depression, which up until a few years ago, I never would have considered as disabilities. Uh, So I've definitely had a bit of a journey over the last few years. Thank you so much. It's so great to hear from you all. And I'm really looking forward to find out more about you all during this series. So the episode today is going to look at identity, but we've also got five more episodes after this one. So to introduce those, I'll pass you over to Alice. Thanks, John. So the episodes of the podcast are being diagnosed with a disability, the support available at university, a guide to university events, getting the university experience that you deserve, and what the future holds for disabled students accessing university. All very exciting topics, and I can't wait to speak with my fellow co-hosts on all of those topics. Thanks, Alice. So in terms of this podcast, and Alice, I'm going to come to you again in a second, because the podcast was very much your idea. Um, it wouldn't be happening. It wouldn't be, we wouldn't be here tonight recording if it wasn't for your influence. So 
Firstly, Alice, can I ask you to just explain why we've called it the one in five? And if you can just tell us a little bit more about the, the context behind it. The podcast is called One in Five because it actually represents the fact that one in five people in the UK have a disability and tens of thousands of them access university every year. So we're basically trying to say university is an option for you and you can actually thrive at it. So, yeah, give it a go. Thanks, Alice. Enjoying this series, we're going to hear from students that have done just that. So have not seen disability as a barrier and we're going to talk loads about their experience during it. So thank you very much, Alice. On the One in Five podcast, we have amazing students that you'll get to meet over the next few episodes with a wide range of disabilities and experiences to share with you, the listener. With that said, ahead of the recording, we've actually asked two students that aren't with us tonight, but you'll get to meet during the series, and that's Kyle and Jessica, two questions. And those questions were, how do you identify with your disability? And the second one is, has the way that you identify with your disability changed during your time at university? They spoke for our producer behind the scenes, Tim on their identity and this is what they had to say. So yeah, hi, I'm Kyle. I have fibromyalgia, uh, ADHD and dyslexia. I study illustration and animation at the University for the Creative Arts in Canterbury. Kyle, as you know, on this episode, we're gonna be talking about identity, how you identify as a disabled person, as a disabled student, as a student maybe with a disability. What, what would you like to share here? So basically, how do you identify with your disability? And how does it affect you? And how do you feel about it? It's odd. On my like day to day, I don't tend to notice um, my various various disabilities, um, which is you know bizarre because fibromyalgia is a chronic pain condition. It's like, like a sister condition to ME, and ADHD and dyslexia hugely warp how I have to interact with the world around me. But I've dealt with them for so long that it's just. I, I know how to deal with them so they don't really ever feel like they're out of place or they're affecting my life too much. Um, like I'll have bad days where I can't get out of bed or I'll get a surprise email on a day that I can't particularly read well, but I know how to sort of circumvent those issues. So it's it's weird. With with what you've just said in mind and you, you've got various different challenges that you've you've mentioned there. Has your identity or the way you identify changed as you've got older? Yeah, I think as I got older, having more time and experience with my disabilities definitely has changed the way I look at them and myself for that matter. I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia about five-ish years ago when I initially started university. And when I found out I was miserable, it's like, oh, I have to change my entire life around this thing that's going to affect me forever. And now five-ish years later, I wake up and my spine hurts and I carry on with my day because that's what a Tuesday is to me. And higher education as well has definitely helped me out with ADHD and dyslexia in particular. And having that sort of internal discussion of I have a disability versus I am disabled. That idea that um, the dis your disabilities are intrinsically a part of who you are, no matter how you identify with them, they are a piece of you you can't keep arguing with them all the time you just have to you know, learn to adapt to them hiya my name is jessica i study sociology at the university of greenwich and i have adhd which stands for attention deficit hyperactivity disorder and i have the combined type which means that i have both the inattentive and the hyperactive traits hi jessica um anything you can share in terms of how you identify with your adhd 
I used to be really ashamed about the way my brain worked and I used to be really hard on myself for experiencing and doing things a bit differently compared to other people. However, I don't view my ADHD as a bad thing anymore, even though it does come with its struggles sometimes. But I think having ADHD is a huge part of my identity and it's who I am. So I'm very open about it now. Thank you, Jessica. How and why has that changed in terms of how you identify? The way I've identified has definitely changed throughout the years. I think the biggest kind of aspect of this has been receiving a diagnosis. As I said earlier, I used to be really ashamed about how my brain worked because I just didn't know why I was the way I was. But after receiving a diagnosis, it all kind of made sense. And I was able to research more about ADHD and understand my brain even better. And another big thing that changed how I identified was going to higher education and finding START at the University of Greenwich. So START is a disability and diversity initiative at Greenwich and it stands for support through accessibility retention and transition and it's essentially a disabled student-led initiative and a community of disabled students at the university and relating to other people within that community has really changed how I identify. Thank you again Jessica, Um, really looking forward to again find out more from you during the series. So Matthew, Dominique and Alice, um, we've just listened to that actually in the studio. So um, do you have any kind of reflections on on any of the comments there? Um, I think what Jessica was saying about shame is really important. It's something that really resonates with me, I think, especially after I was diagnosed. Even after diagnosis, I still felt quite ashamed of having anxiety and depression. because I think there can be quite a lot of stigma around them. Um, So the shame definitely came from stigma. And I think that a diagnosis definitely helped me learn to sort of identify more with labels like anxiety and depression, but it wasn't always the case. I think uh, after diagnosis, uh, after a couple of months, it it took me a couple of months to really sort of be comfortable with those labels. Um, I did still feel a bit of shame um, after diagnosis, but it's, it's a journey, definitely. Yeah, uh, leading on from what Dominique's just said, I really agree. And also, I kind of feel like sometimes there's a bit of like an imposter syndrome thing where I felt before I had my diagnosis, I kind of, because of my dyslexia, obviously affects my reading and writing. I thought maybe I was kind of stupid for a bit, which is very negative and, you know, it was kind of harmful for my mental health. And even going between higher education and university, when I got different levels of diagnosis, that then came back again. So I'd go between waves of feeling comfortable that, you know, recognize my disability and then being unsure again. But now a few years after my official diagnosis, I'm a lot more kind of self-aware and happy in that. So Thanks, Matthew. Really, really pleased to hear that is the case as well and that you are um, lots happier. And I suppose it's, it's so easy for people to say, and thinking to Dominique's point, you, you shouldn't feel shame, like that you shouldn't, but it's very easy to say you shouldn't. And actually, you know, it's really good that you found a path that, that actually reinforced that was the case. Just on that point about shame, my current boss has said you can't argue with feelings. And I think that that's something that's probably really, really important that we emphasise because you feel how you feel. You can't argue with how you feel because you can't change it. You just have to feel it. And sometimes that's uncomfortable, but it's also really vital. So feel how you feel, but know when 
So you need support. Love that. Thanks, Alice. And a shout out to Alice's boss. That's fantastic. So with Alice's great point there about being mindful of how you feel, can I ask you for each what you want to achieve from being part of this podcast mini series as well? I, I think what I'd like to get out of um, this mini series is raising awareness of the support that's available for disabled students, especially those with mental health conditions, because that wasn't something that I had access to when I was considering university. And I think if I had the knowledge that I have now, before I started university, it would have been a much smoother transition into higher education. So yeah, definitely uh, raising awareness for students with disabilities. I think for me, I just love our younger listeners to actually begin to think that university can be an option for you. If someone's ever said that university isn't an option for you, ignore them (laughs) because it is. It really, truly can be for you. And as a young person, I didn't know if I was going to succeed at university, but I've managed to succeed and get a 2-1. And I'm absolutely delighted. And that wouldn't have been possible if I didn't think I could. So believe you can and you can. So completely agree, guys. I think there was one thing I wanted to achieve with this podcast. It'd be like clarity, but also provide kind of this safe space for people to talk about their experiences and share in them because it's quite nice. I've not had this kind of before, whether we've had similar experiences or different experiences. It's really nice to just be open about it. And I think if one person listening to this podcast can go away and kind of feel a bit more comfortable and confident about starting university because of something we've said, or maybe, you know, they found a resource off the back of this podcast, or they've just started another discussion with their friends and family, and it's pushed them to be a bit more open, then that's amazing. So if it's just even just one person, that would be amazing. That's fantastic to hear. Thanks all. So as we now heard from and reflected on Kyle and Jessica's responses, it's only right that we now capture yours. So how do you identify with your disabilities? And how has that changed as you've accessed university? Yeah, I have a physical disability. So for me, it's part of me and I think that probably stems from the fact that I've always had my disability there's never been a moment where I've been not disabled and then transitioned into being disabled so I think for me it's just who I am it's part of me and again I think with what Jessica said a moment ago you can't run away from it because it is just part of you so well I can't run anyway so that's quite fun Uh, (laughs) I sometimes use a wheelchair that's why that that comment's important (laughs) so I think yeah I think it's important to also know that if you go from using different mobility aids, no mobility aid is better than the other. So you can be using a walking frame one day to go into a wheelchair the next day, but neither of them are better than the other. It's just how you are that day. Uh, Alice, how's the way you identify with your disability changed over your time at uni? So for me, it definitely has changed, but it's been in fluctuations. And again, what I said earlier about you can't argue with feelings, I think that's a really important thing. Because my disability fluctuates, some days I'll be like, yes, walking frame, brilliant. Some days I'll be like, wheelchair is needed. But again, neither of those are more valid than the other. So I think it's really vital that you, again, find your people at university because they're going to be the people that can support you. And you will find them. It might take a bit of time, but you will find them. For me, it was my society. So yeah, there's definitely people there who you just have to find them. And it has changed because there's been challenges that I've faced but through having that support system it's definitely been helpful and you've quite clearly overcome loads and loads and loads of challenges Alice um so thank you for that and thank you for giving your feedback on terms of this podcast so Matthew I'm gonna come to you if I can please and ask you the same question I asked Alice and the same question we heard from Kyle and Jessica in terms of answering and that's just how do you identify with your disability yeah so I tend to just identify as dyslexic or having dyslexia 
um, or if someone were to ask me, uh, I tend to identify as having a learning disability because my dyslexia is an invisible one, so you're not really able to tell, but it kind of affects, if no one knows what dyslexia is, it kind of affects your processing speeds and that can impact your reading, your listening, your writing. For me, it tends to impact my reading and writing under pressure. So when I was in high school, that really impacted my exams, like GCSEs, A-levels. Uh, at uni, it tends to impact sort of writing lecture notes and trying to take them down as fast as possible, which is kind of, it's not as extreme or not as, you know, there's not as much pressure there, but sometimes that pressure is kind of comes from yourself. So it does still impact me in, on my course, but it's to a much lesser degree because I've learned how to live with it. Thanks for sharing that, Matthew. Just a quick question of, has that changed since you started university? So have you identified with it differently since being at uni or before? Uh, yeah, absolutely it has. I'd had a diagnosis when I was in high school, and that was what allowed me to get support through my GCSEs and A-levels. Uh, but when I came to university, I needed to do another sort of assessment. So in my first year, I had another diagnosis, and that was like an official one that I've been given. And since then, for the last two years, I've kind of been more accepting of, of it and how it maybe impacts my day-to-day -day life as well as education. But because now I have this official diagnosis, I can take it with me through everyday, uh, everyday life. And if I need it for any jobs or anything like that, it's really useful to have. So yeah, it might, it's definitely changed, but for the better. Matthew, I'm intrigued. You mentioned about your diagnosis was kind of approaching doing like GCSEs. What was it as a, like a reason why you did proceed with the diagnosis what what was the trigger there yeah so yeah in high school the way they did it is I think it was in year seven or year eight they gave us this small test to test all the students in the year it was just sort of like a series of like word games and images to try and give the school a gauge of like who might have had a learning disability or not so obviously that flagged me up on the system and in year nine I had an actual assessment with a teacher who was trained um, and then like I was saying before, between then I, I thought, well, maybe I just failed the test because I'm, I'm, I'm not good enough and it's not actually anything to do with my disability. But it was, that was just kind of me being anxious about it. And when I got the diagnosis from the school, I was able to use, I think it was 25% extra time on my exams. So I was able to use like a green pen to write any, any bits of information that I'd answered, you know, after everyone else had finished. And that was really helpful. So I had that all the way through high school and sixth form. And then... Coming into uni, after I accepted my offer to Leeds Beckett, they, I think I'd flagged up on my application that I was dyslexic and you needed to provide proof of that. And I didn't have an official sort of document or diagnosis. So I kind of, the uni arranged so that when I started in first year, I'd have that diagnosis assessment. And I had it in, I think, December of first year. So, and then I had the official diagnosis back just before Christmas. So that's kind of why I chased it up. Does that, just a, a quick one on that, then. So does that, like you mentioned about, all the additional support there one thing you, you did say is you got more time when it came to exams and I bet it's really strange at the end of exams for some people we see a lot of the, the group leave and then you're you know you're going to stay there a little bit longer um but quite right you do it does it I take it that's that's replicated at uni as well yeah well the thing is with my course because I do film there's no real exams so I can't say for how that would, but I would assume it'd be the same for other students for me, it basically gives me more leeway and time to do assignments. So I have to do written assignments like essays and I have a dissertation to do this year, which is quite daunting. And I kind of I don't really enjoy writing that much because of my dyslexia. But I have one to one support with this tutor once a week and he's able to help me kind of manage my time and process what I'm thinking about. And the software that the uni have given me access to and they've given me this laptop as well that I'm using to record this call. So using that to help write my essays has actually been really helpful. 
but yeah, I, it is quite weird when you kind of sat there and the exam finishes and two thirds of the, the hall leave. Uh, but there was actually quite a few people in my year at school that also had dyslexia. Some of them even had 50% extra time as well. So they stayed a bit longer or they might have had a different separate space to learn in as well. Thank you, Matthew. Dominic, your turn now. So how do you identify with your disability? So I always say that I've got anxiety and depression. Sometimes I'll say I've got GAD, generalized anxiety disorder, because it sounds fun. Um, but yeah, generally, I just say that I've got anxiety and depression. And has that changed for you since starting university or beyond university? I think for me, it's interesting because I received my diagnosis during university. So before university, I, I would never identify as having anxiety or depression because I, 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 mean, I would have definitely said that I was a very anxious person. Uh, but they weren't labels I used because I didn't feel sort of validated them in them. It was only until university when I got my diagnosis that I was then I then felt comfortable enough to identify as having those um, disabilities. And just to sort of talk a little bit more about what I said earlier about shame. Again, a lot of that came down to shame, not feeling comfortable enough to say that I have these conditions. That brings us to the end of part one. Join us after this short break as we discuss identifying with disability further in part two. So we've kind of discussed then about identity, but the audience in terms of this podcast is going to be students that are considering university and they might have a disability and you know, be concerned about how they're going to find actually a university or even you know visits to universities and the run up to that. So I'm really keen to find out kind of what doesn't get talked about in relation to disability and identity. Um, Alice, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I definitely think that sometimes being a physically disabled person, people kind of shy away from it. So they go, oh, we can't, we can't talk about it because they might not want to talk about it. But in my experience, I'd rather you talk to me about it because there are some universities that I went round to that didn't even mention that I could have disabled students allowance, um, which is an allowance that provides government support to students. And I think that that would be like a really important thing for students to know, because if they're worried about accessing university in the physical sense, that's also something that they're going to worry about. And then again, for me, thinking about the actual cities that I was going to live in, city campuses for me are the, are the best one <laughs> for me. Personally, campuses are not for me, um, but city campuses are basically a way for me to be able to live in a city and go to university so that everything that you need is nearby um you don't have to get a bus out because buses are not my friend don't tell transport for london um <laughs> shout out to transport for london no we're not gonna do that but yeah buses just aren't my friend because they just don't work and yeah i think that being in the city means that i can just either walk along or wheel along um or roll along roll along is my favorite saying i'm rambling now <laughs> yeah but yeah city campuses were the way to go for me um and yeah if you're worried about starting a conversation don't be because half the time people are actually looking forward to discussing it I realize that sometimes people aren't but in my experiences me as a terrible person I'd rather you speak to me about it because I've got a massive metal thing around me can't really run from it so talk to me about it <laughs> Yeah, Alice, I would definitely agree with that, especially with like when you have an invisible disability as well. It's not really completely that open. I do remember some places on their websites and in their applications, they mentioned it. But I remember, unfortunately, when I was looking around uni looking to start, it was kind of just after COVID. So there weren't a lot of open days. 
So I think I only managed to go to one open day and it was for Leeds Beckett and it was about two months before I was due to start. And I'd already accepted my place. And it, but because part of the buildings were closed at the time, I didn't get to look at the like support facilities they had access to. But the students that showed me around were so really helpful at like answering any questions. And I was quite lucky that when I started, they provided me straight away with the opportunity to get that support. But I found that a lot of the stuff they told me about like the DSA allowance and stuff like that, I didn't find out until about a month or so after I had the diagnosis. And I kind of wish I'd known that going in. But also, yeah, I agree with the city campus thing as well. Like maybe it's just because I'm I'm lazy, but I've massively preferred being in the city campus because it was a lot easier to get to everything you wanted to go to. Thank you, Matthew. One thing we did mention is um, the disabled students allowance. So we're going to talk about that in terms of this series. So if you want to find out more about the DSA, um, we're going to cover that later on. Um, Dominique, do you mind if I come to you? Yeah, definitely. To echo what uh, Matthew and Alice were saying, especially about the DSA, um, I didn't know about it until a couple of years into my degree. Uh, so uh, again, I think it's something that can be a massive oversight, uh, especially with invisible disabilities. I think colleges and um, schools may sort of target uh, university information sessions if they're talking about the DSA to students that they consider disabled, but their definition of disabled may not sort of reflect what disability can be so uh, it wasn't something I ever heard about so I think that's something really important to um, make sure that it's addressed to everyone I think it's really important that everyone knows the support that's out there and available for students regardless if they have a disability or not. Wonderful thank you so much Dominique. One thing we, we, we it's quite clear in terms of this podcast is we've got a, a range of, of disabilities represented which is is really useful for listeners because you know that listeners everyone's going to be different and and we're trying to help as many people as possible when it comes to removing barriers to university. But I'm, I'm very conscious that, that you do have visible disabilities and those disabilities that, that aren't clear. And Matthew touched on that earlier on. But if you kind of cast your minds back to when you were all considering university. So, you know, just rewind a few years to when you're in the position that many of our listeners are. Do you really, did you see kind of people like you represented in like promotion materials? That's like websites or prospectuses which are brochures if you don't know prospectuses it's a word universities use universities have a word have work complicated words for everything um prospectuses are just brochures about university so did you kind of see yourself represented in in the stuff you were looking at uh, yeah it's quite hard i think to kind of promote other students that have an invisible disability i guess and i don't ever remember seeing anything like that when i was looking at university but i think that that at least in my experience that might have changed now because i know that I work as an ambassador for the uni and a lot of those events are face-to-face but some of them are online so I've done a couple of online open days and on those online open days they'll have sort of chat rooms for different topics and they always have a chat room relating to like uh, disability support skills for learning or like finances and stuff like that as well like the general uni stuff but they do always have a support chat about to ask questions about that and like Alice was saying earlier I would say don't be scared to just ask those questions because the the worst you're going to get told is no we don't have that and then maybe you have to rethink your choices and choose somewhere else that has what's right for you but I would say don't be scared to ask any questions. Yeah just to jump on that Matthew I think it's really important that listeners know that getting reasonable adjustments for university is actually a legal requirement so if you don't have those reasonable adjustments put in place for you they're breaking the law so they really need to not do that but I think that a lot of the time universities never want to do that so that's not that's not bad that's a good thing. I'm glad that they don't want to do that. So you just have to remember that you can ask for things. And if you think that you reasonably need that, stress it to them. And yeah, 
definitely advocate for yourself because you need that support. It's going to support you to thrive at university. It's the best thing to do. And Dominique, if I can come back to you and kind of ask you a, a, the same question, essentially. So when you were looking at university and you know going through materials and find out more about university, did you feel like you could see almost people like you at uni? I think so. In the sense that I wasn't necessarily, I didn't necessarily at that point identify as having um, any sort of mental health conditions. But I know for sure that, say, anxiety and depression are typically the ones that get that have the most knowledge on and sort of get the most airtime in a way. And there's there's more knowledge on those two in particular. So I think when I was looking at universities, I remember not paying too much attention to, but there being access to um, therapy services and things like that. Yeah, thanks, Dominique. And I suppose the the onus is on kind of you and and Matthew. You know, mentioned that as well that that you've got to kind of declare that there's you know, that that there's extra support you need because you know certainly when it's it's not a visible disability, that's I suppose that's the challenge, isn't it? You you go to open days and Matthew wouldn't have someone that goes up to him and say, "Oh, are you dyslexic? We've got this support." And and likewise, you know, in your situation as well. So, thank you very much for that. And that brings us to the end of part two. Join us after this short break as we share opinions, guidance, and advice on identity and disability in part three. So in part three, what we want to do is look at potential improvements. So what can schools, colleges, universities do? This is a really difficult question because it's really broad, but what can they do to support people with disabilities? And Alice, I'm going to come to you. So in terms of schools and colleges, I think it's vital that they share resources like this. Basically, the reason we're here today is so that students can have those places where they feel listened and they can hear us speaking and feel like, yes, I relate to that person or I relate to this person. So I think sharing resources like this with schools and colleges, please do that, not just because we're here, but just because I feel like it would be really important for those young people to understand that they can do it. And again, I think don't think I've said this yet, but when I was a young person who did horse riding, I did that with the RDA. Just to clarify, RDA is the Riding for the Disabled Association. So it's the really important um, charity that support disabled people of all ages to learn horse riding, to support their mobility and other needs. And their motto is, it's what you can do that counts. And I think that that's a really vital message that we keep telling to students because sometimes at school you can be told, oh, you can't do this, you can't do this. But actually, you can. You just sometimes have to find a different way to do it. So I think that's more to do with the actual people rather than the schools and colleges. But yeah. And in terms of universities, boy, do I have some words to say. Um, <laughs> that's because of my job. Um, no, so I think that for universities, they just need to get a little bit better at listening to disabled people. Like at Christchurch, I'm lucky enough to be in the position of student union president where I can advocate for those young people. But yeah, I think it's vital that they keep listening because as people that have lived with it, we're actually lived experience experts because we've lived with this for as long as we have, whether it's two years to seven years to your whole life, like you've lived with it. So you know your experience and you know what could be better. So listening to those people that have experienced it is vital. Uh, yeah, I completely agree with Alice. I think sharing those resources between higher education and university is essential. I think another thing would be really useful is if sort of teachers or support staff at high school, you know, if they know students have an invisible or a visible disability, 
are really good at helping all of those students be aware of like what they should maybe be looking for and asking for when they go to university and if they know a certain student is looking to go to a certain uni maybe try and put them in contact with people there that they know are in the support team I think that's really really important I guess another thing would be like I said before I was quite lucky I got uh, sort of like an early diagnosis at high school so I knew about it but I don't know if that's the same for every school or college so I think it's really important that schools and colleges are kind of like aware of all the different types of disabilities visible or not that can be present in young people and that you know they should be able to safely if people are comfortable enough test people and kind of you know see if maybe they do qualify for an invisible disability or something like that and then maybe be able to help them and support them through the rest of school um obviously do not force that on anyone you know it should be if someone's not comfortable doing that or they really don't think they have that then do not put that on them but if someone is unsure about who they are and maybe questioning you know well, maybe I do have a learning disability or a physical disability or something like that then yeah I'd say definitely everyone should be able to support them through the process. I'd say especially for universities I think uh, universities should aim to be I guess more flexible in the support they can offer. I think at the University of Kent I was quite lucky that they were they were listening to me and they were trying to find ways to make my life easier at university and they were more willing to put measures in place to make my life easier by speaking to me and um, sort of trying to figure out my individual needs but I know that's not always the case at all universities and whether that's to do with resources that they have or anything but I I think it's really important that support that is offered to students at university with disabilities that that support is tailored um, as much as it can be. Just a quick resource that popped into my head for students that are looking at university um, Access Insights have just released their table of universities and where, where they are supporting disabled students. Um, so that might be a really good thing to look at. Not every university is in that. And also it was taken from quite a small sample. So take it with a pinch of salt. But I think that that could be a really good resource for disabled students to look at and see where the university that they're looking to potentially go to falls in line with other universities. Thank you so much, Alice. So. Knowing what you do now and focusing on the conversation we've had today in terms of identity, what advice would you give your younger self back when you were considering university? Trust your instincts. If you go into a place and it doesn't feel right, it's probably not right. But then on the other hand, if it feels like it's completely your place, it's most likely going to be your place. I think I've had challenges with my own identity, but the best thing that I've ever done is trusted that I will get through it. And again, you can't argue with feelings, so you'll, you'll, feel, you'll feel a little bit low, but you can have a wonderful time at university. And again, it's what you can do that counts. So don't push yourself too hard. But again, take all of the opportunities that you can. Just have a wonderful time because it can be really exciting. It's a really exciting time when you're looking around universities because you're literally trying to find your place where you're going to live for three years. And or stay at home. You can stay at home too. Live or stay at home. But you can you'll find your place where you feel valued. And I think that's really key. I would say be patient and be open about who you are and what you need. Take your time. University is a big part of your life. And it's as we've said before, that's whole podcast, it's not as scary as it seems. And you will find your people, you'll find what you need, what you want, and you're gonna have a good time. But definitely be patient, trying to look at where you want to go make sure it's right for you not only for like the course and the location but just the support they offer and just be again as I said before be open and you know reach out to people and ask you know do you offer this support or 
you know, maybe if you're not sure about if you have a disability or not, try and find a way to find that out and take the time with it. Don't rush into anything. Thank you, Matthew. And Dominique, I'll come to you as well. You're kind of at the stage now where you've just finished university. So you're looking ahead in terms of careers and a new journey. But go back to when you were thinking about uni and linking to identity. What advice would you give to your younger self? Definitely about being open to the possibility that university can be for you. I personally, um, especially when I was doing my A-levels, I really struggled with A-levels. I found them really difficult. It's a completely different way of learning that I wasn't used to. And I didn't have the support that I needed to cope with the mental health conditions I was dealing with. Um, so I got into my head that I couldn't really go to university because my grades weren't reflecting sort of what I needed to be getting into university. And a lot of that was just down to the fact that I didn't have the support I needed. And then I got to university gave it a go and ended up thriving because I had the support that I needed. So I think definitely if university is something you want to do, don't let labels you put on yourself or disabilities hinder that. Just if you do think it is something that you want to do, definitely give it a go. And as Alice and Matthew have been saying, seek out the support because there's support out there for you to absolutely thrive at university. Dominique, thank you. That was absolutely wonderful. So Alice, Dominique, Matthew, thank you so much for putting yourself out there, being part of this podcast, being vulnerable, talking about your experience. And we're so grateful. And you are going to help so many people by sharing your experiences in terms of the, the experiences that they've got ahead of them. So thank you. Last thing I want to do is just come to you first, Alice, and then I'll come to Dominique and then Matthew. Just if, if people want to connect with you, find out more about what you're doing, how can they do so? Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. So please feel free to add me there. Um, I think my headline is student union president dash graduate. So you should be able to find me there. Yeah, I think it'd just be great to connect with anyone that wants to connect with me because if I can help you again, more than happy to. Yeah, thank you. You can also find me on LinkedIn, Dominique Hegarty. You'll be able to find how to spell that in the show notes. Yeah, I am also more than happy to connect with you, talk to you about what I'm doing now, now that I'm a graduate started work very exciting so yeah feel free to um, send me a message or connect with me on LinkedIn more than happy to chat. Uh, feel free to add me on LinkedIn as well uh, at Matthew Whiteman because I'm still in university I guess it's still a little bit more fresh in my mind if you want to talk to me about first year or second year or even third year as well if you want to know about the whole three-year experience but just anything really if it's related to this the podcast or my course then yeah just feel free to message me. Thank you so much for listening. Please do follow, like, rate or share this podcast with the ones that you care about. And if you support them, share it with them too as we unlock the university experience together.